I'm Chelsea Parker. I'm a freelance fiddle player, and this is The Jay Franzi Show. Welcome to The Jay Franzi Show, a behind-the-curtain look at the entertainment industry with insights you can't pay for and stories you've never heard. Now, here's your host, Jay Franzi. Well, hello there, my fellow entertainment junkie. Welcome to the show. I am Jay Franzi, and this is your backstage pass to the entertainment industry. This week, we get to talk with a songwriter and an artist development coach. We get to talk with Nisma Osman. We'll talk to her about the impact that songwriting legend Cara Diaguardi left on her, what it's like for her to hear her songs on TV, and we'll discuss her role as a development coach. Now, Nisma is a wealth of information when it comes to licensing. She holds hundreds of her own, and I can't wait to talk with her tonight. So, if you would like to join in, comment, or fire off any questions, please head over to jfranzi.com. Now, let's get started. Nisma, my friend, how are you? I'm good, Jay. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am fantastic. Thank you for being here. This is going to be a pleasure tonight. Yeah. To, to get us rolling, can you just kind of tell me what kind of impact did Cara Dioguardi have on you? Yeah, I mean, she's epic. She's like a, a like a legendary pop songwriter. She's behind some of the most prolific pop songs to ever grace this earth. A lot of people know her from American Idol. She judged a couple seasons on there. I think, like, I don't know, I want to say like 10 years ago now. But uh, I got an, a really incredible opportunity to go to a a songwriting sort of private-ish songwriting boot camp uh, in New York City a few years ago. And um, it was just an incredible experience. There were basically, there were like 15 of us and she sat us in a room and she said, you got three days to write great songs, go for it. And she just popped in and out. I mean, you, you think three days is not enough time to learn something, but when it's that intense and you have someone of that like expertise, I feel like I made like a year's worth of <laughs> progress just in those three days. So it was really incredible. And she's an incredible person. She's really kind and genuine and she doesn't, she doesn't hold back and her, you know, feedback. And uh, it was just a, it was a, it was a cool experience. Well, that's cool. You you say three days and then she popped in and out, but what kind of guidance did she give you during those three days? I mean, really just coming into our sessions and listening to what we were working on and telling us if it was crap or not, which it usually was. <laughs> and then she would come in and, and just be like, try this idea. And it would be like an amazing idea. <laughs> and it, it would just change the whole song. And you'd be like, oh, okay. Well, Thanks, Kara. You know? <laughs> so just kind of like that. She also brought in this production team they're called the 11 and i don't know if they still make music together but they're a brother duo and i know the older one had went on to produce with jennifer lopez and so they're really talented and they kind of helped us with the production stuff you know coming in and giving us feedback on that because the assignment was not just to write songs but we had to fully produce songs too by the end of the day yeah, three days so um no, one song per day. <laughs> like the assignment was bring us a finished song for every day, right? So it was, it was, yeah, it was a lot, but it was fun. 
That's awesome. I know you say it's like a crash course. You'll learn a year's worth of material in just a few days. And I can understand that too. I mean, I felt like I really knew what I was doing, but it wasn't until I went to work for some of the bigger producers where I was like, okay, things are a little different. I learned more from a day in a studio with them than I did my entire time at college. So oh, it, yeah. it's impressive the type of things you pick up in just a short period of time. And But we're, yeah. you know, we're talking about your start and your school. I mean, you went to Berkeley. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I went from 2013 to 17 and I did songwriting. I knew going in that I wanted to do songwriting. That's their major, you know, one of the majors they have. And it was a really difficult, but incredible experience. It was um, the first time, you know, I had been away in a, in a place where I really knew no one and had to start from zero. And, you know, it was a big adjustment in that regard, but it's just, you get thrown into this world of like immense creativity and passion and a little bit of chaos <laughs> because I think chaos is like creativity's cousin. And so, yeah, it was just crazy. I got to learn and study with some of the world's best and brightest and some of the world's up and coming that I didn't know were up and coming. Right. I got to go to class with them and hang out with them. And it's pretty cool. That's the best part when you see where your classmates end up. Yeah, the Berkeley experience has a tendency of bonding you in a certain way. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. The whole point was you go to Berkeley, you study songwriting, you get these opportunities to to go to these camps and learn and build on that craft. But then you take it and you actually apply it. So let's start with what the first step, that first little bit of success you had when you left school. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny because I actually stumbled across what I ended up getting into, which is mostly sync licensing at this point. But I stumbled across it when I was a teenager, like in high school. I had a, There was like a little singer-songwriter convention in my town, and they did like a little talent show. And I, you know, I played a song, and in the end, uh, a guy approached me, and he, you know, he's like, I'm a, I'm a, hi, I'm a publisher, and I... I was listening to your song and I think it would work really well for TV. And mind you, I'm like 13 right. and I like barely know left from right, but I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to be famous. This is it. You know? So obviously that didn't happen, but it was a great experience. He ended up helping me finish the song, get it produced. And, and I got to go up and work with some cool people in North Jersey that have gone on to do great things. And, and that song has ended up in tons of TV shows and, ads and stuff and and then after that experience I kind of just went about life finished high school and and then I got reintroduced to sync licensing right towards the end of my time at Berkeley and uh, it was in my last semester really that I was like okay I'm gonna do this like for real and then you know one thing just leads to another and you just keep going and time passes and it's five years later <laughs> That's fine. The only reason I came across it was a publishing company out of New York City that that approached me and said, hey, we like the songs you have going on because they were fully produced. Mm -hmm. And we had success with that publishing company because those songs were fully produced. And they were able to take those songs and then put them in TV shows and movies and so forth. But it gave me not only the confidence, but it gave me a little bit of money in my pocket and you know, a little bit of yep. things to kick things off. So did you find that 
doing that at such a young age that it gave you the confidence to really take the next step? Absolutely. I think that moment was really life-changing for me, actually. I, and I didn't even realize it. But, you know, I, I remember the moment when I got the master back for that song. And I remember, you know, crying and being moved to tears. That was really the first experience I had had where other industry people kind of validated my creativity and, and put their skin in the game for me and something that I had birthed, you know, and it was just, you know, to be so young and to have that experience was really, was really special. And I think it really made me, uh, I don't know, I, it made me attach myself to this whole music business thing. And uh, it just kind of, you know, was more fuel for the fire. Well, you mentioned that first song, having legs and getting used quite a bit. So obviously you remember it. What song was it? Yeah, it's called Let You Know. <laughs> it's I, it's actually like not a great song, but it works really well for film and TV. They just love it. They just keep using it. And I don't know why, but I'm grateful. <laughs> I say the same thing. The song that they chose to use for me was probably the worst thing I ever put together. But they said, no, right? this is perfect. It's perfect. It just works. <laughs> I'm like, okay, great. You like cheese. Exactly. Here we go. <laughs> right. I mean, when I was a... When I was uh, young and in Boston and everything, I mean, I wrote a lot of sappy love songs. I mean, they sounded like Air Supply. I mean, mm. my song sounded as close to Air Supply as anyone could get. But no. So, all right. So you're writing these songs and you're you're building um, a catalog for yourself. But we mentioned having fully produced songs, and that for especially for Sync, that that's usually the desired outcome. How mm. are you producing these songs? So right now I mostly produce myself. I produce mostly in the box in Logic, but it it wasn't always that way. I had to teach myself production. So, you know, at first it was just teaming up with producers and leveraging fully written songs that needed productions. Um, and that's just kind of how I I got started. You know, you just build a great team of, of collaborators and learn production on the side as you go. And that's kind of what I did. Right. And now I'm kind of at a place where I can DIY most of it myself. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the collaboration because I think that's a big part of it. If you try to do everything yourself anyways, your music comes out very narrow. Mm -hmm. I think when you start adding other people to get involved, it, it really opens things up. Absolutely. But I mean, obviously you have some musical talent. You were accepted into Berkeley. They don't just accept anybody. So you, you have some talent behind you. But as a songwriter, did they require you to also take on an instrument? Yeah, you have to choose a you have to choose an instrument. I auditioned on voice, and that's what I studied studied while I was there. <laughs> I would not call myself a professionally trained vocalist by any means. I mostly do jazz and pop stuff, um, and there are a lot a way better vocalists than me out there. But yeah. That was my, you say that was my instrument. You're not professionally trained. You know, a degree <laughs> from Berkeley is not professionally trained. Don't worry about it. So obviously <laughs> you can write melodies and you can do things like that. Do you happen to play like guitar, piano, or something like that? Yeah, I, I play guitar, piano, and electric bass. Okay, um, so you really can do a well-rounded demo on your own. Yeah, for sure, yeah. I, my next thing is the drum kit, I but that's, say, you know. Who's playing drums for you? <laughs> 
<laughs> the the samples are playing drums right now. That's <laughs> the live sampler in Logic. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I had to pick an instrument, so I picked piano, and I played it in whatever. But my brain knows what my hands are supposed to do. I just can't get my hands to do them. Mm-hmm. So you're putting these productions together, and you're doing it primarily in the box. I'm not going to hold Logic against you being a Pro Tools guy, but... I guess as a songwriter and you're playing instruments, I guess logic has a place. Fine. So you, you're putting these songs together. How long does it take you to put a, a demo like that together? Um, I mean, these days, anywhere between, I mean, including vocals or not including vocals. Let's include the vocals. So if I'm doing the full vocal stack and I'm editing and tuning, I would say start to finish maybe six to eight hours. Okay. That's impressive. That's very impressive. But that's very variable depending on like how complicated the vocal production is. And, but I try not to overdo it with sync stuff because they don't need overdone stuff. So no, that makes sense. But I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you know something controversial in there. You mentioned tuning. So, yeah. Obviously, you you don't have anything against tuning. Um, no. What are your thoughts no, no. on it? I mean, I think it's, I think it's just how it is, and there's no sense in fighting it. I mean, I I think there's a a time and a place for everything, and like there are natural consequences to being overly reliant on tuning, especially if you're gonna try to perform live and. Right. And not be able to, you know, perform well. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't play sides with that stuff. I just, I want to get it done and get it done the way that they want it so I can get paid and have fun and do the things I'm excited about. There you go. Well, I mean, that's a a good attitude to have when it comes to that. Because I'll tell you, working on the production side of things, every record I've worked on in Nashville gets tuned. I mean... But I will tell you, I've worked with some artists who do not need to be tuned. Sure. And the, the producers will still make you tune it. They, I mean, they will sit there and they will watch you tune it. They will still make sure that it gets tuned so that way that they, they know it is as competitive in the market as can be. Yep. So I will tell you that I would say 98% of the albums that go out today are probably tuned. Oh, yeah. You know, what's interesting is I just watched that documentary on Netflix about the We Are the World recording. It's a very interesting. So it basically gives you that like full behind the scenes look of, you know, everyone who was there and who recorded and and you could hear as they were performing how out of tune they were. But they didn't tune the vocals back then. That was I think the right. 70s. Well, no, 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 um, no, no. That was 80s. 60s, oh, 60s, 80s, God, 80s. Yes, you're right. 80s. <laughs> 80s, 80s, 80s. I, I got my decades messed up. Yeah, because Bruce Springsteen was like, that was his heyday. He was big when I was in high school. Oh, yeah? When was that? <clears throat> 80s. Okay, yeah. So so anyway, they were singing and they were like really imperfect, but they were all singing like in their styles, like for what they were known for. And, and I was waiting to hear the finished product at the end to see if they had manipulated the vocals. And I think for the most part they didn't. And you could just you could hear those like original, very uh, faulty 
vocals come through, but they all sounded great because they were all just authentic to the artist. And so there's something special about that. But for the most part, yeah, these days it's going to be, you know, perfectly tuned up. Well, I think there's something to be said. I mean, because a lot of times the instruments themselves weren't tuned. Yeah. If your instrument's not tuned and you tune a vocal perfectly, then it doesn't sound right either. Right. Even when you are tuning, you should be tuning to the other instruments, not to a standard of perfection. Totally. But anyway, so let's talk more about your success in the sync world. I mean, you've had hundreds of songs licensed at this point. So are they hundreds of individual songs? Are they hundreds of licenses? I mean, how's it working with you? Mostly hundreds of licenses okay. over a catalog of, I don't know, maybe 50 songs Okay. plus. So, yeah, you don't really need, like, a ton of eggs in the basket. Uh, you just need the right ones in the right baskets. And is this all happening through a publishing company? So, no, not a publishing company. I, I work with uh, licensing agencies, so they operate kind of like curators, you know, um, libraries music libraries and um, a lot of them typically take a percentage of your publishing on any sync placements they procure and nothing beyond that but yeah they're the people who basically pitch your music to the paid placement opportunities they work with music supervisors okay so do you ever feel nervous or concerned with the stuff that you're putting out I mean, yeah, of course, there's always that level of, is it going to resonate? That there's, I don't think that ever really goes away, no matter how big you get. And uh, I think last night's Grammys performances, and by performances, I mean stage performances, not the musical performances. Uh, I think that, you know, it speaks to that. But anyway, yeah, of course, I, there's always a part of me that's like scared and, doesn't want to be rejected. But for the most part, I, 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 I deal with that by just reminding myself that I'm making music for me and, and that this is my, my journey and my, you know, I'm sharing my story because it feels good for me to do that. Do you take that approach first? Yeah, for sure. All yeah. Right. Well, that's good because I know um it's a business and it's how you make your living. So I mean, there's a sure. there has to be a balance to that. Oh yeah. When you think about it like that, do you find that to be true? Like even the licensing and stuff now, that you just have to meet a certain bar. Yes, I you know there is a sort of separation, and you have to learn how to do that. You almost have to kind of have another personality you have to just kind of compartmentalize and, and not be attached as much to the stuff you make for sync because it is a little more contrived, not that it, it's not authentic and that it shouldn't come from a place of genuine excitement and, or of whatever you're talking about. But there is a certain level of like, this is a, an asset I'm creating in the hopes of generating income and building my career. And you have to be willing to kind of be okay with that as you make it and not take it so seriously, you're good. Let's take a, a look at it this way. We, I would normally, you know, want to know what somebody has to do to be successful or what somebody has to do to get on the right path or take the right steps. But let's start a little differently tonight. Can you tell me what somebody shouldn't do? Oh, um, 
for sure. You you should not think that you can do it all. Uh, you should not be. Oh, now I have to like think in negatives. <laughs> You're messing with me here, Jay. I'm doing it's it too late over here. Now for comes me. the jersey. I I heard it. All right, fine. Um, and no, out like, come the gloves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, you. Sh- so you shouldn't. Um, you shouldn't think that you can wear all the hats. You shouldn't be unwilling to collaborate. You shouldn't be unwilling to learn and change things. Change your method of creating. Change your method of of working with other people. You know all that good stuff that you know, they tell you is what gets you to the next level. All right. Well, let's take that a step further. Obviously being adaptable and those type of things are a desired aspect. You know, working in the studios, we used to always say, you don't have to know everything. We can teach you everything. You just have to be a good hang. You just have to be exactly. able to sit in the room and get along with everybody. That'd so, be teachable. Yeah. So do you find that to be true with the people you collaborate with as well? Absolutely. And I, I'm now kind of entered a territory of being able to be more selective with the people I work with. And I know that that's a privilege. Uh, you know, it takes time to get there. But yeah, I only work with people who I really enjoy working with. Right. People who I would musically date, <laughs> put it that way. Right. Like, it is kind of like a relationship, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And like, I don't deal with people who don't get back to me who don't do what they say they're going to do. You know, I just don't have the time and energy for that. And, you know, and and I certainly don't work with people who cannot handle their ideas, not being the ideas. That's just bad vibes. I don't do that. On that note, when it comes to songwriting, I know you also do artist development. You're an artist development coach. So you seem to take a musical approach to your coaching. I take more of a Mm. branding approach to my coaching. Mm. So let's talk about your approach for a minute. When you're working with people, how do you handle the songwriting process with them? Yeah. So I like to, I like to kind of start from a place of figuring out what are your strengths. And that helps people feel like they're not starting from from scratch, right? Because when you're trying to learn a new thing, whether it's sync licensing or whatever it is, it's it's intimidating because there's a big learning curve and you tend to feel like, oh God, can I do this? You know, so I I find that spending that time up front focusing on what do you already bring to the table really well helps kind of just give that like boost of like, okay, I can do this, you know. And also I'm really great at these three things, you know. So once I get them high, I like to bring them low, keep them humble, right? <laughs> and I say, punch them in the okay, gut once they're standing up straight. Exactly, exactly. So this is what you're great at. Now, what do you need help with? And it's all about the phrasing, right? <laughs> what what are you, what are your weaknesses, and where can you start to outsource some of those weaknesses, right? And that I find really sets people up for getting really clear on what they bring to the table and what they need someone else to bring to the table. And then from there, you can make an action plan. Okay, I need to reach out to three producers this week and see if I can find a hookup or whatever, you know? So 
just kind of that approach. And, and then we work on, okay, how can we actually make great songs with these new relationships you're forming? So are the people you're coaching, are they primarily songwriters? It's a little bit, a little bit of everything there, but I would say most, most are, are lacking the production skill. Okay. So we're not talking about artists that are trying to make it in the world of music to produce an album and to go out and become a superstar. We're talking about people who are trying to specifically write songs that could be used by artists or sync licensing and so forth. For the most part. Yeah. Some are artists though, who want to delve into the sync world. So it's a mix. Okay. And are those those people, those artists that are coming to you, writers, artists, are they musicians as well? Or are they strictly lyricists with melodies? No, many of them are musicians, talented vocalists, players. All right. So you're you're helping them bridge that gap then. So when you're helping them with the songs, are you coaching them to what the music directors are looking for out of music for licensing? Yeah. I mean, if we're, yeah, if I'm working with someone in the context of sync, then yeah, for sure. We're, we're focusing in on like, how's your song measure up in terms of sync? Does it work? And I, and I would say the writing has to come first because I'm a big believer that a great production cannot save a poorly written song. All right. So and you mentioned earlier, you know, spending time to seek out some producers. What are you looking for in a producer? Well, I mean, I, it's dependent on the person I'm working with and the genre they like to work in, the genre they want to work in, the genre they currently write in. It's it's all dependent. And th this is a kind of a key thing, right? I call it the someone kind of who's on the same level as you and it's kind of an unspoken feeling but I find it really important to have a mutually satisfying collaboration especially when it's all spec work because if either one of you feels like in air quotes too good to be there then I find that those types of dynamics don't lend themselves to great songs. You have to find somebody who's kind of at the same level as you in terms of where you're at. And that's hard to quantify. It's almost impossible to quantify actually. So it has to be this like, it's this feeling, you know, that you get. So besides the whole, like, you know, what genre do you work in? There's that really important piece that I think is more important because that lends itself to a, a good dynamic. And then also you can rise together simultaneously and that's feels great. Yeah, no, true statement. I know um, also people think of producers differently from genre to genre to genre. And I think it's also regional, right? So if you're in Nashville, I think you get one type of producer. If you're in LA, you get another. In New York, Atlanta, Chicago, mm. you always get these other areas that are producing other types of music. Mm. And I think that's a that creates what type of producer we're talking about. So when you're working with these songwriters and you're looking for producers, do you find that they lean towards one type of producer over another? I mean, I think it's dependent on the on the client and their goals and and their background. Like, you know, for example, I was chatting with a a prospective client and she does like old school live session R&B 
and she's amazing, right? And I was actually telling her, I was like, this is going to be expensive for you <laughs> to try <laughs> to do because she's paying all her players and like, that's amazing. But to do sync in that way, especially as you're just learning how to write for sync, that's going to be expensive. So are you willing to work within the box producers until you get the hang of it? Right. And she was like, yeah, I'm willing. So, but that's just like a small example of kind of how, how I would direct people. And, and it's really all just dependent on their goals and where they're at. Oh, I understand that. I mean, so you're, you're writing these songs, you're producing these demos and then it comes time to pitch them. So when you're pitching them, are you teaching them the process of doing it or do you assist in that process? What, what is the step for you? Yeah. So, so when I'm working with other people, I'm really helping them, you know, before we even get to the pitching, I'm making sure that they've got a solid mini repertoire to pitch. So then when we get to the pitching, we're doing our due diligence and research to make sure that we're reaching, you know, the right people. Because really I've realized in sync, you don't need a ton of songs in a ton of catalogs. Um, you just need the right songs in the right catalogs. And so it's better to do that legwork up front instead of just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. Right which is a method and it works. It's what I did for like two years before I knew what the hell I was doing. But if I can prevent you from wasting two years of your life, then I want to. Um, and so, yeah, taking that approach of like being very targeted and very strategic and finding the agencies who either specialize in what you do or have a gap and you can fill that gap with what you do. Hmm. So if we're talking about income and we're talking about you know, developing artists, do you ever develop artists to then go perform live and show them how to, you know, generate an income by performing live? I have not ventured into that, that sector of artist development. And the only reason for that is because it's not something that I have personally pursued and cracked the code for myself. So I don't feel qualified to take anybody on that journey. Uh, maybe we'll see in a few years. <laughs> what life holds, but for now, no. No, that, may, that makes sense. I like that because you're teaching based on your experience. Sure. I mean, that's the same thing I do is when I'm coaching somebody, I can only coach on what I know, what I've been through. Let's talk about when you first got your, your songs licensed. What was that feeling for you the first time, you know, you heard one of your songs in a TV show or a movie? Amazing. It still is. Every time it's like, it's just so cool. Do you remember what the first one was? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. Uh, it was that song that I got licensed at thirteen. There's this like religious network. I think it's called like INSP or something. It is yes. Yeah, inspiration. I think it stands for. And they had like a springtime promo reel, whatever, for their upcoming. I don't know. Back when cable was still a thing. And uh, back in the and old yeah. days. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, it, that song played on their ad, and it was just, I mean, it was the best ever. I was a kid, and I got to tell all my friends that I had 
music and TV and I got to show them the YouTube video and I felt like I was on top of the world and it's still so cool. I love posting on Facebook about it every once in a while and it makes you just feel cool. You know, it is cool. Like you're doing something. I mean, and since then you've had hundreds of other opportunities. I mean, tell me some others. Do you have any movies? Uh, No movies, feature films are tough to crack, but they're my next, my next target. There you go. I like it. Yeah. So, um, what are the other ones then? Uh, recently, a bunch of Love is Blind stuff, a bunch of Temptation Island stuff. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You talk about Temptation okay, Island. Sure. I mean, how are they yeah. utilizing your songs? Is it background music? A lot of it, yeah, is trend like background transition stuff. I mean, they use like they use like 50, 60 songs per episode in that oh, wow. show. Like I don't know, I don't know why, <laughs> but it's just like I don't know. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But they pay semi well, so I'm not going to complain. No. <laughs> not at all. I know I saw that you had some success on Apple TV. What is what's the connection to Apple TV? It was a show called um Best Foot Forward. It's a show about a kid who has a physical disability and it's just kind of his life and it's it's cute. I checked it out. You know, I wanted to grab the spot that my my song was on and it was it's cute. So now that you've had the success and I mean I know you do development, have you had any opportunity to teach? Uh yes. So I've taught at Berkeley actually. I was able to do so they have like a summer songwriting program. I bring in teenagers and some adults actually and I did that for two weeks summer 2022 and summer 19 so one pre-covid one post-covid that's how everybody thinks right that's awesome (laughs) but yeah that was great I, I got to work with these incredible kids they're just they're on another level man like they're doing stuff that at 16 and 15 that I couldn't even dream of when I was 15 and 16. I know. Every time I talk to my daughter, you know, she says something. I'm like, well, let me show you how to do it. And within 30 seconds, she goes, you don't need to show me. And she's looking something up and she figured it out already. I'm like, stop. Oh, yeah. Just stop. I know. It's, yeah, it's insane. Did you enjoy it enough to want to pursue it at some point? Yeah. I would actually say it was a big motivator and pushing me toward the artist development path because I really, really love to teach. I really love to help people, I guess, get out of their own way, so to speak. Uh, And I just love that process of digging into something, finding the problems, fixing the problems and, you know, making the solution. That's awesome. It's cool. Absolutely. No, I really like that. So does the time or culture or anything like that play into what you write? Oh, great question. I don't know. I feel like it probably does on some subconscious level, but I'm not like an active political writer. Although there was one song that I did called Nasty Woman. My friends and I wrote that like smack dab at the start of COVID, like April, May of 2020. And it it was um, an attempt to 
clap back at the whole nasty woman Hillary Clinton thing. <laughs> and it was fun. It was a fun song. <laughs> That's funny. Did you get any yeah. backlash from it? No, it was mostly positive responses. But I only sent it to people who I knew would <laughs> would feel that way. <laughs> exactly. What's next for you? What's next? Uh well, I'm going to just keep grinding. I'm going to keep making great music. I got some some cool fish in the fryer. Uh, I don't know if that's the saying. Um, it is tonight. Uh, it is tonight, right? <laughs> um, yeah, making great some great sync tracks. And then this year I'm really hoping to to reel in some new fresh, uh, fresh meat to help uh, do some development and coaching with and and hopefully help some people start to make some money. That's really cool. All right. Well, we do this thing here we call Unsung Heroes, where we take a minute to shine the light on somebody who works behind the scenes or somebody who may have been supportive to you in your, your path, your career. Is there anybody you'd like to shine a little light on? Oh, man. You know, my I had a really fantastic high school choir teacher. Her name is... Sandra Bean Fox, and she is just this amazing creature, and she just always encouraged me and pushed me forward and let me just kind of do my thing in high school. And uh, I think it really, I think it really was pivotal for me because it allowed me to embrace that part of myself and kind of move full force in that direction. And going to school for music is like. You get a lot of looks, as you, I'm sure you can understand. And like, oh, are you going to really make money with that? You know, so it's like, uh, yeah, probably not, but I'm going to try, okay, right? Do my best. <laughs> so, yeah, Sandy Bean Fox, thank you. A big thanks to Nisma for taking the time to share her stories with us tonight. And thank you for taking the time to hang with me here. I really do appreciate it. Please follow, share, and connect on all the socials. You can even tell a friend. I'd appreciate that, too. You can do all this and find the links to everything mentioned over at jfranzi.com slash episode 51. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Jay Franzi Show. Make sure you visit us at jfranzi.com. Follow, connect, and say hello. This episode has been brought to you by VR Knives, your source for 100% custom knives made by a true rock star. So if you're in the market for a new piece of art, reach out to VR Knives. 407-421-5528. 407-421-5528.